Welcome to Off the Beat, the podcast that discusses all things law enforcement from a cop's point of view. My name's DJ Seals. I'm a former detective, crime analyst, and SWAT operator from the metro Atlanta area. Now, I currently work for Motorola as a law enforcement consultant, but this podcast will never be about product or sales, and that I promise you. I came up with this idea because I wanted to have a place where we could have a conversation about current police issues without you, my listener, well, feeling like they were in a sales pitch. I would not listen to that, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. So, let's take a look at today's topic. Do more with less. Don't, don't switch. Hold up. Don't leave. I don't like that term. <laughs> I'm sure you don't either. What do I mean by that? Well, I work with a lot of agencies all around the world, really. And I've never met an agency that said, we've got all the cops we can handle. Not hiring right now. Got plenty. Everybody's great. No problem. That just doesn't happen anymore. A lot of the agencies I work with literally haven't had a manpower increase since the 80s. Yeah. But yet the population has increased. The area of the city or jurisdiction has increased. And what do you do? Well, there's a lot of ways I could go with this, but the one we're going to focus on today are looking at the data. So let's dive in. What is your number one call for service? Just think about it for a minute. Don't, don't log in and look at it. Just take a stab at it. Burglaries, assault, theft. I can about guarantee you it's none of those. As a matter of fact, it's probably not even a criminal enforcement action. It's probably a lot of those things that we just deal with. And we'll get into what those are in a minute. If you're like most of the agencies I've worked with, and I bet you are, your number one call for service will be just that, a call for service, not an actionable report. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, of course, everything comes in as a call, right? Everything does. But only certain calls turn into an actionable report. Most of the agencies I work with, it's about 75-25. And I think I've mentioned this before in some earlier casts. We're going to dig in a little bit more here. Meaning 75% of everything we're responded to is no action necessary, gone on arrival, civil question, uh, things like that leaving 25% to be the actual criminal actions that we must take a report on. So it's the calls for service that make the most time from our patrol divisions. They make up the most time. So how do we give it back to them? Hmm. It's a big question. It's one I worked on for many, many years. And here's some ideas. The key is to identify your top calls for service. That's step one. Look at it all. Bring it in. Do a dump from your CAD, whatever software you're using, whatever that may be. Bring up a screen. We're not looking at details. We're not looking at narratives right now. We're looking at what are they. On any given day, 
What do we respond to the most? Look at the top five, look at the top 10. You'll start to see these huge numbers on the top five and top 10, and then it'll quickly dive down to more, well, easily acceptable numbers of other things. So the key here is to identify your top calls for service and then, yes, I'm about to say something that might set some of you on edge, but identify those that could be reduced or eliminated, such as false alarms. Ugh. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get into that. So first things first, you're identifying your top calls for service. Don't overload yourself. Do this by month to month first. Okay. After you have the list, you take a look and you could see some things that are probably really going to shock you. I will be careful to explain what I mean by reduced or eliminated. I'm not completely nuts. It can be a slippery slope in identifying these calls. Listen, you don't want to get caught up in ignoring calls because they seem frivolous. I'll talk about this in a minute, but I'm, I'm the former analyst that absolutely loves doing analysis on suspicious calls for service. I don't meet many people that write reports on suspicious calls for service. I saw a strange van. Well, log it with dispatch, do whatever you need to do. But I, I don't know anybody writing paperwork on that, right? But I love those. And, and we'll, we'll talk about why in just a minute. We can't just ignore everything. Because frankly, Murphy's Law, Murphy is uh, <laughs> not a friend of the cops. Murphy's Law states that the first time you don't answer a burglar alarm because you think it's frivolous. You know one of those that happens all the time? Because there's cats in the building. No joke, had that before. Because bad weather, whatever that is. The one time you don't go or don't go as quickly as you should, guaranteed that's when the actual burglary will occur. So we have to be careful. So we'll walk through this carefully to make a delineation between trimming the cause for these calls, not your response to them. So let me, let me repeat that. We're going to be looking at eliminating or reducing the cause for the calls, not your response. Because if we can eliminate or reduce the cause, then your responses will go down because you won't be called as much. So let's continue. A call that could be reduced or eliminated would be a call that has no criminal implications to it. Okay. A complete, completely frivolous call that requires no law enforcement actions by your officers. Some examples, 911 hangups. And I know you're going to hold on now. Somebody could be calling 911 and, and need that help. True. The automated 911 hangouts. And we know what those are, right? Those security systems that just simply call 911 and it comes from a business that's locked at night and there's nobody who could possibly have called because why would anybody be there? I'm not saying don't go. I haven't gotten to the solution yet, but we're going to look at those. What about those that come in from cell phones, Right? and you've got no location on the phone. It's what we like to refer to as a throwdown phone. <laughs> it's not registered to anybody. It's one of those you can pick up at a, at, a, at a convenience store and just, you know, pop some money on it and you're good to go. Those are going to come back at the cell tower. I, I, I can feel a lot of you nodding your head. How many of us because most of our mandates in our department say we will answer, we will respond to every call. True. 
Absolutely, I am not saying we don't do that. But how many of us have gone, oh, I know that. That's the cell tower location. The funniest part is I sat one night and watched four rookies get out of their car and walk around the cell tower looking for somebody who might have called 911 standing below the tower. Mm. It's not a good use of our time, right? We actually went so far as to map out all the cell tower locations in the county with the actual GIS given address of the tower. And we tried it a while, you know, let's see if that comes in, maybe have somebody drive by, maybe not, but don't send everybody. Try to get a call back on it. If you can't, it's the cell tower. There's nobody standing under it. I know Murphy's Law DJ. There might be the cell tower technician that needs that help. Yeah, he's going to have a registered phone. <laughs> he's going to have something we can call back. We need to think about these. So many times we just go because we go because we've always gone. I want you to think that way. So I actually looked at, at one of the agencies that I, that I work with quite a bit. And I want to give you some numbers here. I'm not going to mention the agency. I'm not even going to mention the state. And I'm not throwing them under the bus because I, dis I think this agency is actually quite stand-up. Um, you know, I, I know the folks that work there, I'm friends with them, and, you know, they're, they're very good at what they do. So I thought, hey, you know, their data is going to be good. It, 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 let's see. From a stand-up, solid agency, does my theory flesh out? Hadn't really looked at their data in this way before. The very top call for service, and I did do a year here. I started with a month and I expanded out. But the very top call for service, and this is a call for service, no report, is something that's called area check. Now, we're all familiar with area check. Get out there and check your zones. Get out there and check this particular house. Check the, whatever. Area checks, right? Uh, we called them 10-100s. But nonetheless, in one year, 51,775. This is a medium to smaller size agency. Okay. And about 74 officers, seven on shift at a time, four shifts, rotating 12. So two a day. Let that sink in for a minute. 51,775. So I did some math on that. That's 142 a day. And you go, well, what are they doing? Are they, they must, this must be Mayberry, like Andy Griffith is the sheriff, right? No, they actually have 94,543 calls for service in the last 12 months. Total, everything, calls, reports, everything, 94,000. However, that includes that 51,000 number. That means 55% of everything they're doing is an area check. But nothing further. Just an area check. Now, maybe they're calling it out on the radio. Maybe they're logging it on their computer-aided dispatch. The point is, it's an activity. An activity that is not easily tied into a criminal enforcement action. So I would ask, and I might very well ask this agency next time I'm there, curiously, what are these tied to? Where are you going? How many different places? Or... And this is kind of where I'm thinking. Is this like so many of us do and we just go, check your area. I want to see those area checks. Let's get some area checks. 
the first time, first time you say that to a shift, you're going to get flooded with those. Why? Because you don't want to be the officer that doesn't do that. 51,775. Okay. If they're directed, but that's a lot of directed, right? So just think about that. Think outside the box. It's not bad to do an area check. I'm not throwing area checks under the bus. What I'm saying though, is why are we checking that area? Are we checking the right areas? Are we using our data as we've spoken about in previous podcasts to create areas of focus because of high crime or, or high suspicious calls? Hey, I like those, right? Are we focusing in the right areas or are we just casting a wide net and we're just checking everything? Don't know? Something to think about. To give you an idea, th their next highest is traffic stops. I'm not going to throw traffic stops. I'm not going <laughs> to throw them to the wolves here. 12,721 traffic stops in a year. Just think about that for a minute. 51,775 area checks, 12,721 traffic stops. Which one of those is an actionable function? Hmm. I'll just let you chew on that. Then I started looking at domestics, Right? This particular stat's near and dear to my heart. I've worked with a lot of agencies who go to a lot of domestics. And what do you find? You find, well, you know, we just don't write as many reports on those as we probably should. And it's the third, 2,713 domestic calls. And I went down in the data and found that they only write reports on 17% of those. 461. Now, granted, maybe only 17% needed them. But if that's true then what's up with the rest of the percentage? I'll bet it's the same houses. I'll bet it's the same locations, right? We actually went so far into my agency as we, we dug deep into the code book. We talked to the DA because there were just places we were going over and over and over again. Nobody was hurt. No property was damaged. They were just screaming and acting crazy. And we actually came up with a charge called disorderly house. Yes, Georgia has that. So many calls to disorder at a house and you're not keeping it right. You can be charged with disorderly house. <laughs> we started using that. Amazingly, we saw a drop in some of those. Now, we don't want people not to call if they're actually in a domestic, right? But let's flip the coin on that. If we're going to so many of these that don't require any type of reporter assistance, you know, people just arguing. Are there real domestics on hold? Are there real domestics that are waiting for us to get done with that one? See, that's really the crux of this whole topic today is that we don't have enough cops. We just don't. So are there certain things that we can trim down, take a better look at to give us more time to do what we're mandated to do? 911 hangups, 322 of those. I just spoke about that. 322 in a year, right? Doesn't seem like a lot, but it is when we have all of the rest of these calls for service that, that potentially could, could be deadly at any time. And then, and I, I know, I travel around and people are, are amazed by this, but some agencies still do it. And this is, Unlocking vehicles. Locked my keys in the car. They did 655 of those in the last 12 months. 
about a couple a day. Now I have an I have an old adage, you know, how many how many rookies does it take to unlock a car? And the answer is all of them, uh, until the sergeant who's been laughing across the street goes over and gets it open for them. But the point is, is there a city anywhere that listens to me that doesn't have a skilled locksmith? You know, I've floated this with a couple of agencies. A couple of them actually, um, a couple of them actually instituted this, and it works well. Most of us have what we call uh, a, a towing rotation. We have an accident. Uh, dispatch takes a look at the list, the certified list, and they go, "Oh, next on the list is this towing company," and they go and pick up the cars. And the next accident we have, they go down the list, right? But what about doing something like that with I locked my keys in my car, certified locksmiths. Now, I'm going to be very careful and say, you have a child locked in the car in August in Arizona. <laughs> child locked in the car anywhere, but at any time. But really, I mean, you got to look at the circumstances. Kids, elderly, dogs, you know, somebody's locked in a car and needs to get out different. Somebody's standing outside their car on a beautiful afternoon and they've locked their keys in the car. <sighs> Because we all have those certain people that seem to always lock their keys in the car. <laughs> you know them by first name. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Yeah, let me get this for you. You know, Bob, I don't know how long your lock's going to last here if we keep doing this. You might want to get an extra set, right? These are the things we're talking about. Getting into that. So many times, and we should be, but so many times we're focused on the part ones and the part twos and the, the IBR and the UCR and what do we do about And we need to be focused on that. We need to. But we cannot do a good enforcement job with the crimes if we're spending time on things that we go, why are we doing that? Now, one of the interesting ones in here, and I'm going to get to the burglary alarms in just a minute, but one of the really interesting ones in here, suspicious. They have a couple of different suspicious categories here, but I added them up. 2,826 suspicious calls in a year. And when I looked down the rest of the data, I didn't see any direct correlation between these and reports on that. And there might not be anything, but boy, I, I, I'm just wanting to call their analysts and go, please look at that. Where are those occurring? Why? Well, let's tie it back to the area checks. Those suspicious calls are probably not scattered all over the city in a random manner. They're probably in nice little hotspots all over the city. So that's where our area checks go. Area checks don't go to the park where nobody goes. Okay? Area checks don't go to uh, the police department. I'm only, I'm only laughing because I actually looked at one agency's data and they actually did area checks on the police department. Anyway, um, but it's those things, and, and they weren't doing it because they were, they were you know, not thinking straight. They were doing it because they'd always done it that way. Help your officers out. Give them the time they need to do what they're there to do. So let's look at these false alarms, okay? I looked at it. These specifically were false burglary alarms. 2,434 false burglary alarms in a year. Then I went down the data and I looked. They had 97 burglaries. 
Not bad. Not great, but not bad, right? Fairly safe city. But folks, quick math will tell you that 4% of the total calls for burglary alarm were actual burglaries. And I know the, these alarms, are, they just drive us nuts, right? But what do most protocols say? Well, you get an alarm, you go to wherever it is, and you check out the building, right? Check out the home, knock on the door, you know, get dispatched to call somebody, um, check out doors, windows. You, you got to check the whole thing out. Here's the bad part. When you have a large building and you find a door open, even if it's not burglarized, they just lock, forgot to lock a door, you got to search the whole building. Probably not going to do that by yourself. So you see how this compounds upon itself. So in comes the alarm ordinance. So let's dig into those. I will admit that these are some of the most dangerous to tag as frivolous. But unfortunately, like this agency, many times one of our highest volume calls. So here's what we need to do. You need to put together a complete breakdown of the occurrence. When, where, how many. After that's done, you'll be able to do some simple math and determine not only how much time your officers are using to answer these, but how much, and yes, I did this, how much money it's costing your department in deployment of the officers to frivolous alarm calls. Frivolous alarm calls. You'll be able to identify those, like it's always this building, it's always that residence, it's, you, you know, you can pick out the top ones. Not, not the one-offs. Everybody has a one-off. We've all set off our home alarm accidentally. But it's those that, that are just every day, right? Grab those. Create a good presentation of this data to your chief, sheriff, city council, county commission. And say, you know, we need some help with these. I did this. I left out the money in the beginning. I did. I said, we're, we're answering this many it takes uh, an average of this much time to answer these. Uh, hey, this building's really big, so it takes three or four officers to do this, which means we're off shift, basically. And you take this agency has seven on patrol at a time. You take three or four <laughs> in a, you know, a church or a school or municipal building or something like that, and you're, you're stuck for a while, right? It didn't go very far. It didn't. It, it didn't go very far. It was like, well, you know, you got to pat it on the head. You know, well, just do, do more with less. We appreciate what you're doing. I didn't take that as an answer. I went back. I did a costing. Average, basically average salary for the officer, broken down by time, broken down by shift, broken down by all of these things, and then did the math to show how much money it was costing us to answer these. All of a sudden, I got their attention. Isn't that amazing, right? Pull up the heartstrings of your council with money. <laughs> and would you believe it or not, they allowed us to write an alarm ordinance. Yeah, we didn't write a crazy one. We were very mindful, you know, first one's free, and then the second one, eh, you know. And, and, and frankly, over time, we've had to tweak that because there were some businesses that were just flat paying the fee as operating costs. I've talked to some agencies that actually, they, they literally will not respond to your alarm unless it's certified 
by one of their alarm companies, sort of like that tow list again, certified by one of the alarm companies working properly, then they'll respond to your alarm. If it's not, they don't respond. Oh, that's totally to the other side. But again, an interesting way to look at this data. Now, granted, an alarm ordinance may not be a speedy solution to this problem. Believe me, it's not. But it is the movement toward a solution nonetheless. Alarms in my jurisdiction have dropped greatly. Uh, alarms in other jurisdictions that have created uh, these, um, these ordinances have dropped greatly. And you go, oh, well, it's just an alarm. Think about the time. Think about the time. You're giving it back, right? And my guess is you'll never eliminate false alarm calls. Never. Of course you won't. But you can greatly decrease the amount your patrol is handling in a given shift of calls that they just don't need to be handling because they're, they're junk. An action like this will also show your patrol division that you care about where and how their time's being used. I mean, we all know how busy our patrol divisions are and how precious their time is. We need to start using it wisely. So I challenge you, look at your data and don't just go, eh, yeah, well, we, you know, yeah, we need to do that because uh, look at it. Look at it with some outside eyes. Look at it. Maybe send it to a, a, a department friend of yours in a different department. Maybe send it, if you're an analyst listening to me, send it to another analyst. Does this look right to you? Do, do, you, do you experience this too? You're going to find they're very, very similar. Hey, what are you doing about this? Have you, have you attacked this in any way? How, how have you handled this? How did the public handle it? We want to be there for the public. We don't want to ever say no. But we also have to be mindful of what they've given us. What they've given us is the money to have officers and cars and a police department, right? And we must use it wisely. So now let's take a look at some crazy but true police blotter stories. I have got some good ones for you today. I've been traveling quite a bit and this one just jumped out at me. A man was traveling through the Oakland International Airport trying to smuggle marijuana through security. That's dumb enough. Here's the greatest part. He decided to hide it in a full-size Skippy peanut butter jar. Yeah, for those of you who don't fly much, you're not getting a full-size Skippy peanut butter jar on a plane without them taking a look at it. Sure enough, went through the x-ray. The jar looked like something odd. They opened it up, had quite a bit of pot in it. Funniest part is I did some more uh, digging here, and this was not the first time. There was another man right before this time, probably related, uh, who was going through the LA airport. Marijuana in a peanut butter jar. Most interesting thing about this, they were both Skippy peanut butter. Hmm. Might want to look into that. How about this one? I don't know if this is just dumb or incredibly bad luck, but this guy <clears throat> from Florida, sorry my Florida friends, they just keep popping up. He pulled off what seemed like a successful home burglary. Hey, burglary, real one this time. And he made off with thousands of dollars of jewelry, but then made the... <laughs> He made a big mistake. He decided to go pawn it 
took it into a pawn shop, store managers looking at it, then realized that, uh, well, it was her stuff. <laughs> she quickly hit the panic button. Police arrived, and he was promptly arrested. Mm -hmm. All right, here's another one. Had to go back to Florida. I'm sorry, they just keep popping up. Uh, this guy went into a Walmart, found a flat screen TV he liked. And, and we're not talking a small flat screen TV here. According to the report, it's a 37 inch flat screen TV. Now, no photo came with this. I wish it did. But the man tried to shoplift the 37 inch flat screen TV in his pants. We'll just all imagine that for a moment. Bad part for him was an officer who was already there for another shoplifting call saw him literally, as the report said, waddling and shuffling out the door with what looked like a TV in his pants. Good call there, officer. Uh, as for the man to stop, he did not. And this guy actually tried to run. <laughs> he got about as far as you thought he did. Here's another good one. We're going to go over to London for this one. Guy walks into a bank to rob it of 700,000 pounds. That's a nice take. Clerk said um, that he, he seemed very nervous at the time. She went to hand over the money. Uh, he made his demands. Uh, he was wearing shades and a you know, flat cap. He's trying to hide himself there. He went to reach for the bag, but instead of grabbing the bag, he got confused and handed the cashier his gun. Uh, the crook froze, staring at the male cashier, realizing his mistake. And just at the time he started to run away, the cashier hit the button and the security shutters came down. And he sat in the corner and waited for police to respond. And the last one today, in honor of the new Star Wars movie, Portland. Portland police disarmed a man accused of swinging a toy lightsaber at customers in a toy store, assaulting at least three of them. Yeah, when officers arrived, they found the man still swinging the lightsaber in the parking lot of the Toys R Us. One officer tried to use a taser, but it was ineffective because, and you gotta give the man props for this, he actually deflected, <laughs> he deflected the taser wires with the lightsaber. Got, got a little Jedi in it. Uh, officers uh, abandoned the taser route. It was a plastic sword for God's sake. So they had to struggle the man to the ground and uh, they took him into custody as he was yelling incoherent statements from another language. Maybe Wookiee? I don't know. Listen, as we go along this journey together, I may say some things you don't agree with. Or maybe you do agree with me and even have a topic you'd like me to cover. Or maybe you have a funny police story you'd like to share with me. I encourage you to email me at offthebeat at MotorolaSolutions.com to give me your thoughts and ideas. And check out my Twitter page at DJ underscore offthebeat. Until next time, stay diligent, stay educated, and stay safe.